I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half, half as, as Well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay, we just read the first part of book six, finally to the last book. Yeah, we read chapters one, The Tower of Kirith Ungol, through chapters five, The Steward and the King. Bit of a downer. <laughs> oh, this is a big bummer. <laughs> Of a group of chapters. Yeah, uh, after riding high for the last eight chapters of just like pure badass energy, then we're we're thrust back into Mordor and... Uh, and Frodo and Sam's story is just getting worse yeah. and worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny rereading the book through this time and realizing what parts I feel like I've read the most of. And I think that's definitely like book three, The Two Towers, Battle of Helm's Deep. I think I've read that more than any other, but I think this book is the one I've read the least. Yeah. Specifically, these two chapters that kick us off, um, I feel like I only read them when I'm rereading through the whole book. Uh, I never go back to these chapters to try to relive this experience of marching to Mount Doom. Yeah, I will say that, you know, the the Tower of Kirith Ungol, um, at least we get a little bit of action, but from there on out, it's just like a bummer parade man yeah i mean yeah i do like it's uh you know sam going up into the tower to rescue frodo it's a lot like old fairy tales of like the hero going to rescue the princess yeah. in the tower or something yeah um, so yeah as we know last time the orcs had captured frodo they found out that he was still alive so mm -hmm. sam was like well i need to go rescue him and he comes upon the the tower of kirithungal and all the orcs there seemingly are dead and have fought each mm -hmm. other and killed each other yeah, and later when he listens in on the conversations between Shagrat, Shagrat and Gorbag. And Gorbag. Yeah, they um it's clear that there has been like a lot of tumult uh within the ranks of the orcs and and things aren't going well and they are starting to think that things aren't going on well on a larger level. They're starting to really distrust uh Sauron and his operatives they're sort of seeing the the signs of a failed takeover yeah i mean what's happening right now is the battle of pelinor fields right and what's soon about to happen is you know the winds turn against sauron bringing aragorn's fleet up and also the witch king is killed by eowyn yeah and so uh yeah things are not really going sauron's way and as sam is coming to the tower they're also fighting over the mithril shirt that mm -hmm. um we know that they had taken from Frodo, and also that we know that comes into the hands of the mouth of Sauron. Yeah. I do want to say something just here about the the timing. You know, we've talked a lot about this kind of jump back, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to show the same time period uh, from a different perspective. And I actually really like this in the book, uh, as opposed to in the movies when all of this is sort of presented just in a different order. Uh, well, I like that we get to spend time with the characters and we don't know what's happening with the other elsewhere. characters. Yeah. And by the time we reach this narrative, we already know that... Gandalf is yeah. gonna see the mithril shirt and and not yeah. you know take the bait sort of so it, it's exciting to kind of know how things came about after the fact but also when that happened we don't know the fate of Frodo and Sam right right so exactly. we're now we're getting to see from that point going forward with right. the story um the information that the previous characters weren't privy to right so yeah all that's pretty interesting and Sam 
comes into the tower with the ring and we see the ring kind of playing a little bit with him here uh tempting him to claim it mm-hmm. um and we see what it tempts sam with which is uh <laughs> overthrowing mordor turning it to a, a great garden <laughs> Yeah, um, Sam's great. I I think, you know, he's just so perfect. I, I love that even presented with that, like his dream garden, like the world of a garden, he was just like, no, like, I don't need that much of a garden. I, I just need like... <laughs> The size of a garden for myself. Yeah, and that's it. Um, yeah. Not slaves or... Right. He He's just very... I, I think it is funny that, like, you know, he feels the weight of the ring. He notes that it is, like, a, a strong power. But he just seems so wholly unaffected compared to the other characters yeah, who come and well, in touch with it. Who else is the most unaffected by the ring? Too, oh, is yeah, Tom, Tom Bombadil. Bombadil. And his whole thing is that he doesn't desire power. So right. that's why he's unaffected by it. I think we yeah. have a similar thing with Sam has probably the most Tom Bombadilness to <laughs> yeah. him in that sense. Yeah. So the ring doesn't affect him uh, as much. And he's able to resist that temptation long enough to get the ring back to Frodo. Right. Which is a really nice reunion. It's very sweet, but it's so clear that Frodo, although he's alive, like he is just degrading as they oh, are. I mean, he's been like tortured all this time. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And well, at this point in the story, it reminds me the most of the tale of Baron and Luthien. Mm. That was a tale of two people who had to hopelessly march into the land of the Dark Lord against all odds. And, well, their quest was to reclaim a piece of holy jewelry. Right. These Frodo and Sam's goal is to uh, destroy a piece of evil jewelry, but there's still that marching into the heart of the Dark Lord's realm. Right. And, uh, yeah, there's even a a cool little moment that's straight from that tale (laughs) where uh, Sam kind of gives up and he starts singing the song and Mm -hmm. then he hears the song far off taken up by Frodo, Mm -hmm. which is the Luthien comes to Baron when he's Mm -hmm. held captive by Sauron. The same thing happens. And then also they disguise themselves as orcs to march into the land, which is something else that happens in that tale. Very cool. Yeah. I thought it was funny that they disguised themselves as orcs and then like immediately got yelled at as orcs as if they're orcs um you know through this whole time frodo's doing worse and worse and sam is noticing this he he decides several times to offer his you know hey i can carry the ring like do you want me to and this is really where we see how fallen uh frodo has has become and and how much in the thrall of the ring he is at this point he really becomes creature like <laughs> in those moments very golemy. Yeah, well it's a big throwback to those uh chapters in Rivendell with Bilbo and this sort of veil passing between them. Um like I think he even calls Sam a thief and he sees Sam as like an orc trying to take the ring from him. Right. And it's this fleeting moment that passes that again just reminds me of that moment where Bilbo uh yeah. becomes very creature like or even Boromir when he tries to take the ring and he becomes it's this a very fleeting moment the ring takes over and then he's like immediately like oh my god I'm so sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, that moment stood out to me too because it hasn't been since the first volume of this story that we like heard a lot about what wearing the ring feels like or or kind of how it changes your perception we got to see the effect of the ring on Frodo's mind in that moment where he's like literally seeing Sam as something that he's not. Yeah. And I think the movies go uh, out of the way to kind of portray this a lot earlier in the story. Pretty much as soon as Frodo and Sam break away from the fellowship, we really start to see it weigh on him. Mm -hmm. 
in a way that we don't really see in the books as much until when they're in Mordor. Right. That's when it's like really um, has become. Yeah, he's very weak. He like there are several times where he just kind of wants to give up and stop. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say actually at the beginning of this, I mean, starting with his torture, this is when Frodo has lost hope. Yeah. He doesn't retain his hope in the quest until the end. Right. Whereas Sam does. And that really kind of drives home, I think, what Sam's role in all of this was in a larger sense was Frodo was at some point going to completely abandon hope. And he was going to need someone to keep him going. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at here. Yeah, and it just gets sadder and sadder with Sam kind of being more and more honest with himself that, like, Frodo is not anywhere close to being at full functioning. He cannot take care of himself. Like, he can barely keep going without Sam. I mean, he literally stops walking and Sam carries him, Um, which is, like, a cool little magical part, again, where we see a character's, like, state of mind sort of change reality. And he is able to, at first, you know, he was worried that he would barely be able to carry him, but he feels very light. Frodo feels very light to him. Well, yeah, it's almost like Frodo's um, trauma and everything has uh, <laughs> cleansed his uh, soul away. <laughs> his to the body. Point. It reminds yeah. me a lot of when Gandalf actually dies and comes back mm-hmm. and uh, he says to Gwaihir, the Wind Lord, he's like, you know, thank you for burying me. He's like, oh, you're like light as a feather right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've like passed through the fire. Yeah, <laughs> and- like some amount of shedding of the corporeal form. Yeah, and also, I mean, the strength of Sam, too, this gets back to that thing we see in Tolkien where people, when they reach sort of the end of all... Choice. Choice. Um, when despair really does seem like the only thing to do, it, you can either go with despair or it kind of gives you this new, renewed strength of will to keep going. And we see this a lot with the hobbits where they're just like, well, I have nothing left to do but to go on. Right. And even though everything looks hopeless, you know what? Then it can't get any worse, really. Right. So that's really where their strength and hardihood, I think, comes out. Yeah, definitely. So Frodo feels very light to him, and he travels like a ton of distance, way more distance than he expected to in a short amount of time. And then they're attacked by Gollum. Yeah, as they're marching up the road that winds about uh, Mount Doom. And they've seen him a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's been stalking them. Mm-hmm. And if they're like hungry and half starved and whatnot, uh, Gollum is in a very frenzied state right now as well. He hasn't had hardly any food even before they got to Mordor. Right. You know, he was already like that. And now he's just been wandering pretty like half mad, uh, just being pulled by the ring. Right here, we get another similar moment that we've seen with Bilbo and with Frodo, where Sam has the choice to kill Gollum or spare him. And he finally has seen sort of the light and seen what everyone else saw, uh, the value of pitying Gollum. Yeah. Likewise, also Gollum's attack on Frodo is really what gives him the energy to keep going yeah so we again we see that frodo couldn't have destroyed the ring without Gollum and without his madness over the ring well and it's like this one thing that (laughs) strikes frodo into action you know is fighting against Gollum to protect the ring you know and and it is kind of this wild uh like the double-edged sword of the ring's power yeah and like i said when as soon as Gollum had made up his choice to betray them on the stairs of kirith ungol this Fate was kind of set. Yeah. And I love Frodo's line, on Mount Doom, Doom shall fall. Mm -hmm. So they're now just like, we're going to see basically what happens. These three characters that have made it all this way to Mount Doom. And so Sam, you know, he kind of kicks away Gollum and he runs away like a whipped dog. But then, you know, he obviously creeps (laughs) back. 
And Sam goes to catch up with Frodo, like literally in the cracks of Doom. This is what it's all been building towards. Frodo is there. But we know going back to the earlier chapter, probably chapter two, Frodo couldn't even throw the ring in his own fire. Right. And so here we are <laughs> where the the power of the ring is at its strongest. Yeah. And Frodo is now at his weakest. And he's like, I will not do what I came to do. This ring, it's mine. <laughs> yep. Which is really sad. Going back just really quickly, just to demonstrate how far gone Frodo is on the way there, Sam is trying to keep his hopes up and he's like, hey, remember when we were with Faramir and remember like the rabbit stew and like, ha 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 ha, you know, Frodo's like, no, like I, I don't remember any of that. Like I know it happened, but I cannot visualize or like anything. sense that at all. Like um, I have no sense memory or visualization in my mind other than like this ring of fire that the ring is and, mm -hmm. um, this is my life now as Mordor, uh, which is really sad, you know? And, and so by the time he's in there about to cast the ring away, yeah, like he's gone. And of course he puts the ring on and Sam's pretty bummed. Yeah. Uh, and well, I just want to point out um, again, how Catholic Tolkien was. There's definitely a lot of uh, Jesus uh, parallels and illusions, especially I'd say with Aragorn, Gandalf, and Frodo. And this, we really, this march up Mount Doom, we really kind of see um, the passion of the Christ. You know, Jesus carrying his own cross, which is like on behalf of all of mankind. Yeah. And uh, one of the interesting parts of the Bible that I always liked is, you know, when Jesus is crucified, in his final moments, he kind of uh, gives up faith in God. He's like, you know, why have you forsaken me? Yeah before he dies and it's probably his most human moment and this to me reminds me of frodo's failure to destroy right. the ring as you know he held out for as long as he could he kept the faith as long as he could and now he just can't so i've always appreciated that you know this is frodo's kind of crucifixion here yeah totally um and it is of course swiftly interrupted uh by Gollum yet again jumping down <laughs> yeah. uh from his post and uh he he th knocks into sam sam hits his head and at first almost completely loses consciousness but then he's like watching still from above and sees that frodo who's now invisible and Gollum, they're grappling uh of course over the ring and he bites his finger off yeah and just a few minutes before when Gollum first attacked you know frodo he grabbed the ring he didn't put it on but we see frodo in sort of this other state that we had seen him before where Sam sees him like clothed in white and yeah. at his heart, this wheel of fire. Right. And not from Frodo, but from the wheel of fire comes this voice that says like, be gone. I would command you to jump into, you know, the cracks of yeah, doom. Yeah, if, if you're which going is what to he had said earlier. Again. Yeah. And, you know, these were the conditions sort of of the oath that uh, right. Gollum had sworn. And so, yeah, as soon as Gollum takes the ring, he has claimed it. He trips and falls. Right. It's almost like the conditions of the oath uh, have met. almost bound reality <laughs> yeah. to it. That is ultimately his downfall. Yeah, uh, which is sad. I find yeah. it's, it's really sad. <laughs> but like we said, like Tolkien had said, there was that alternate ending. If Sam had not accused Gollum of sneaking, right. he would have maybe have repented. His love for Frodo would have grown and he would have still forcefully taken the ring. Frodo still would have claimed it, um, but then he would have uh, been content with possession and uh, jumped, in. jumped in voluntarily to destroy Sauron. That's a very interesting alternate reality. 
think this is where I just feel the like the most for him. Um, well, this is when he's been reduced down to literally nothing but the madness that the lust for the ring has taken over right. his life. So I think this is him at his most sympathetic yeah. almost. As soon as Frodo had put on the ring, it's clear that Sauron is is like suddenly aware that yeah. like, oh shit, it's said that all of the designs of his enemies were made clear to him in that moment and he realized like how much he had fucked up yeah i just love the realization of this galactic mistake he has made you know to quote gandalf wise fool and he thinks everyone has the one ring ever since he looked into the palantir back um at helm's deep and is commanding all the forces of the west um with the ring with the ring (laughs) which could be you know possibly a threat to him and he knows that he has these spies that have made their way into mordor and he knows that they've escaped from the tower of kirathungal right um but he doesn't think they have anything to do with the ring really at this point which is pretty like dumb you know when you think about it it's like these aren't just spies they have like mithril (laughs) they have a mithril shirt you know they have a old elven blade like these aren't just any and well, Please. let me rephrase that. I think he knows that they are part... I mean, he knows they're related to Gandalf. Yeah, I think yeah. he knows he's part of what the Mouth of Sauron calls this conspiracy. Right. But Sauron doesn't conceive that anyone would want to or could destroy the ring of their own free will. It's just like a pretty simplistic conspiracy if they're just like there for nothing, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe gathering intel about the movement of orcs and stuff. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, all of this is founded on the idea that no one would wish to destroy the ring. Right. And while he was right in some capacity that no one could destroy the ring, it was a combination of, uh, you know, like Frodo claiming it, Gollum's greed over it, the oath between them, all these uh, conditions that had to line up just right for Gollum to betray them, take right. the ring, uh, you know, then the oath starts working and he trips and falls All these things had to line up just perfectly. So, you know, I think he's fairly secure in the fact that, like, no one could voluntarily just throw it in. Right. Sure. Um, Um, And he doesn't even think they have it. No, definitely not. So, yeah. But he's wrong. And um, he realizes it as soon as Frodo puts on the ring. Because whenever someone wears the ring, that's when he can suddenly kind of find it. (laughs) Or at least in the heart of his realm. And in that moment of realization, he freaks out like there's this power surge um, as soon as as Gollum falls into the, the fires. Yeah. Well, and like you said, as soon as he, Frodo puts the ring on, he's aware of it. He sends the Nazgul there. And Tolkien had written even in his letters that if the Nazgul had even like made it there before the ring was destroyed, they would have held Frodo there until Sauron could have came himself. Mm. That's what it would have been the very next thing. He would have left the tower and come straight to Mount Doom. Right. Um, to confront Frodo. But... As we know, there are other forces at work in this world. Yeah. So the ring is destroyed and Sam sees out the doorway into Mount Doom. Barad-dor just finally falls and collapses. Yeah. As we know, the foundations of Barad-dor were made with the power of the One Ring. Even after Sauron was destroyed and they tore down as much of the tower as they could, they could never destroy the foundations of the tower. You know, it's this big symbol for the evil of Sauron cannot really be removed until the ring is removed. And so, yeah, the entire tower collapses and all of Sauron's armies um, are now bereft of a single will driving them. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty immediate effect. (laughs) But even though Frodo's like, awesome, great, that 
that's a relief. <laughs> like, it, it happened. He's still pretty convinced that, like, he's just gonna die in this, like, massive explosion Well, yeah, Mount, Mount Doom is Doom. exploding all around them yeah. now. And they're like, well, I love that Frodo has now come back. Right. He's, um, Sam sees, you know, it's his dear old master of the Shire again. Right. You know, the shadow has passed. And uh, it's just a really great moment, even though it feels like they're about to die. At least Frodo will die himself. Yeah. And not this, like, corrupted, uh, despair-filled version of himself right. that he has been for the past few chapters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Sam's basically like, uh, we've come way too fucking far, dude, to, like, just not even... He's like, okay, Master Frodo, but, like, do you mind if I lead you literally, like, out of the volcano a little bit? Like, Yeah, I like just... how even here, Sam refuses to give up <laughs> Yeah, hope. he's just um... like, you know, like, we fucking did it. Like, we did it all. And, uh... Let's get the fuck out of here, man. We're not going to just, like, sit here and be content in, yeah. in our mission being done. And, I mean, I think even Sam knows, like, we might die. But, like, oh, at the yeah. very least, he's trying to, like, put off thinking about it. He's like, I want to feel like I'm doing something to prevent it. Yeah, I would say, you know, Sam's a lot more of a relatable character in this whole... Really, in the whole book entirely. It's almost wild to me that Frodo starts off at the very beginning of The Fellowship we hear a lot more from Frodo directly. Like we, we know his mind a lot more. Oh yeah. And we really lose him as a main character. Well, like I said, I, the choices of master Samwise, this is a pivotal moment where the story becomes Sam's story to tell. Frodo is still just as integral as he ever has been. Uh, he's right. the ring bearer, but he's not really the one telling the story anymore. He's basically lost all reflection, you know, and, and he's just, a carrier <laughs> a vessel for the ring and uh he's trying his best to stave off its its torturous power sam's refusal to give in even here at the very end that is going to end up saving them absolutely they are fortunate enough to get out of there and this cuts then right back oh, yeah. to the battle at the black gates right that had left us with uh pippin hearing a voice saying the eagles are coming and he's like well that was Bilbo's story. Uh, yeah. And then it kind of seems to end with Pippin dying after he kills the <laughs> troll chief. But then it cuts back and the battle's still happening there. And the eagles come and we actually find out that was happening. And it was Gandalf saying it. Right. It's clear that both in response to the eagles and the fall of Sauron, the orcs are completely like without that leadership. Some of them kill themselves. Some of them go mad. Um, they all kind of, like, leave the front. Yeah, there's this great moment where the fall of Sauron is perceptible to yeah. everybody. And then they see, and this is really the first time we ever see in the entire story, Sauron himself. Mm -hmm. uh, this great shadow rises up over the land. This giant shadow uh, that is crowned with lightning reaches out a threatening hand. But then the wind comes and just blows it away. Blows them away. And uh, again, almost like the realm of Sauron is ended. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very fitting that wind is so important here, whether it's the wind that brings Aragorn up from the south or the wind that brings the eagles down yeah. and the wind that blows him away. Um, you know, Manway, the king of the Valar, is all about wind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's definitely at play here a lot uh, in, like, the last stage of things. Yeah, waited till the last moment, though. It's pretty awesome. As soon as Gandalf sees that, he's like, I know what that fucking means. Like, Mount Doom is about to blow the fuck up. Uh, we gotta go. We gotta go get our buddies. Yeah, because yeah, now they know that they did it. They yeah. accomplished it um, against all odds. I mean, yeah. they all thought we're probably just marching to our death. <laughs> right. But that's the only thing we can do. And 
everyone at the stage is like just facing absolute despair and the end of the world and thinking this is all i can do we do get one mention of you know the the men who were fighting for sauron um they continue to fight but Mm -hmm. are eventually like captured but it's interesting to me that like the men are separate even in like what they were fighting for how they were fighting how they how they were being led by sauron than the orcs yeah then gandalf gets the eagles so the three of them with gandalf are flying to mount doom and because sam you know refused to give up hope you know they were able to spot him on the outside of the mountain and save them and one thing i think has always been very interesting is that gandalf brings three eagles assuming like the three halflings right frodo sam and smeagol yeah um, Gandalf was still ho- holding out hope until the end that Smeagol might have survived. And um, I-, I think that's just great, especially with Frodo saying at the very end, like, let us forgive him. Right. Um, he played his part. This was what Gandalf foresaw. And um, the pity of Bilbo and Frodo and Sam allowed Gollum to live to play his part out through the right. very end. Right. For the first time since the end of The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, all these stories kind of colliding back together. Yeah, it's wild. You know, I I mean, it is pretty insane that all of these people survived. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, I would say that's the most fantastical part of these books. But yeah, everyone's really happy to see each other. It's, of course, like a great little homecoming, you know. Yeah, and I'd have to imagine like Sam when he wakes up and he sees Gandalf and he thought he was going to die. Yeah, I mean, and now they, he, he's like, "Am I like in heaven?" Like, yeah, um, like, yeah, exactly. Um, the, he's not even sure what happened at first. Because um, the last time they saw Gandalf was on the bridge in Moria. Yeah, and um, oh yeah, true. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. So he's just like, "I must be dead then." If you're <laughs> Gandalf, um, yeah, a good time was had by all. They all kind of pieced together their stories and um, and enjoy their their rejoined fellowship again and they all sort of have their plans for what they're gonna do afterward legolas wants to go to see the sea and you know they they just all have aspirations other than war and missions right now which is Mm -hmm. cute you know yeah and while i love the um reunion with aragorn and all the people praising them yeah he leads them up into the throne and uh you know aragorn you know himself bows to them right and says you know praise them with great praise it's a great moment where i think like the humility of his characters really shines through um here's you know aragorn the king now bowing to these uh two hobbits like in rags um, that you know they said that even your orc rags will be held in honor right because you've had to do what like no one else could have done yeah (laughs) but then the narrative does yet another jump back to just before Sauron is uh, destroyed. We cut back to the people of Gondor, specifically Faramir and Eowyn, still waiting in the Houses of Healing. Yeah, I loved this section. (laughs) Of course I did. Yeah, Eowyn awakes and she's immediately like, fuck this. I'm sitting here healing, but I don't need to heal anymore. I need to get back out there and fight. I need to go die. (laughs) I need to go die. Yeah, it it is very clear at this point um, kind of what, Mary initially saw in the eyes of that unknown soldier just this like willingness to die and I think earlier it was like yeah she's like a good warrior now it's very clear like she has a death wish and does not see any end for her it herself in this world other than dying on the battlefield yeah and dying on the battlefield next to Aragorn I mean like they they try to comfort her saying like hey 
if they fail, we're all going to have to fight to the death. And she's like, that's really like not my point. That's not she's my like, point. well, I want to die next to him. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, so she she's mad and, and talking to the, the warden of the Houses of Healing. And then he brings her to Faramir, who's out in the gardens. Um, who's the acting steward. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's basically like, well, I'm under the same warden's watch right now. Like, I, I can't release you because I'm... Yeah. I'm a prisoner too and um, as we know faramir is a man that values wisdom so oh, he's yeah. like i'm going to like trust to the wisdom of my healers yeah exactly now, even though i'm the lord of the city like i am still subject to yeah um and others but he's basically like yeah but like hey oh you want a room with a window you want a room with a view i can get you that that's great like yeah. i can totally help you do that and also i'd like request that you come hang out with me and walk with me in the garden. And, yeah. and so over the next whatever. few days, they get to uh, know each other. And it seems like her uh, coldness starts to uh... melt a little bit. Yeah. I just love everything that Faramir says to Eowyn, I think is like the sweetest thing in this book. And as much as I was angry that the Aragorn and Eowyn sort of thing never really comes to fruition, even though there's so much written about it. As a fan of Eowyn, I'm glad because like Faramir is just there for Well, her. if you can't have Aragorn, I think Faramir is the next best I just option. don't even think he's like second best. It's just like, he like comes out of the gate. Like the first time he sees her, he's basically like, she is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Yeah. And he tells her that pretty quickly too. She's like, why? Why do you want me to hang out with you in these gardens? And she, he's like, because you're, gorgeous like you're amazing and well what i love about this and faramir's feelings for eowyn is you know he is such a man of numenor you know in the prior glory of gondor um before it was diminished and mixed with like the lesser men and the, the and he talks about you know how there's the high men and the middlemen like the people of rohan and he's like we love the people of rohan but you know they're not as like learned in wisdom as us they're a little more wild and warlike yeah. And Eowyn, I think, definitely oh, represents that. Oh, she's like 100% so, that. <laughs> you know, he, and he talks about Numenor and Gondor as if it's like a woman to be cherished and, and loved. <laughs> and I think it's like just very ironic that he falls in love with a woman of Rohan. Yeah. And not of Gondor. Yeah. So as they're getting to know one another and, you know, feelings are starting to develop there. You know, Eowyn is still very much looking east to the return of Aragorn. And it reaches this moment where there's this stillness and they're like what's happening and then we see that same shadow of sauron rise up over the hills and faramir says it reminds him of these dreams of the drowning of numenor that he's had which as we know happened at the end of the second age thousands of years before and i think this is very interesting because as i think we've talked about before tolkien said that faramir was probably the most self-insert character that he had and he wrote the tale of numenor after um he was actually frequented by these recurring dreams of the sinking of Atlantis. Yeah. Like he was there almost. And it had a very profound impact on Tolkien. And as you can see with Faramir, who, as we know, has these prophetic dreams and right. the words that came to Boromir that led him to Rivendell first came to Faramir. And uh, so I think it's very interesting that he has this vision almost of the downfall of Sauron it's reminding him of the previous downfall of Sauron right. and the fall of Numenor but you know he says he feels like even though this is a very terrifying thing that he's seeing he says he feels like evil will not endure and mm -hmm. in this moment he kisses Eowyn uh on the brow <laughs> 
Yeah, but like, let's be real. A brow kiss? Not too shabby. That's like basically a sex scene for Tolkien. Yeah. So like <laughs> By his standards. Yeah. I I love it. I ate that shit up. It made me feel very warm and fuzzy inside. Um, this is totally my shit. This kind of like uh happenstance acquaintances who have to like know each other more and more because of the circumstances and um yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Well here's a trope that I've realizing that I think I really like is two lovers facing down the apocalypse together. Um relatable. Yeah, somewhat relatable. <laughs> um and so I love that there's this moment where they do feel like they are on the brink of because I mean if everyone of them fail, which is likely that is the absolute end. And then yeah. they're just waiting on the storm to come back to Gondor. Right, exactly. And to fight and die there. But then, like I said, they see the shadow of Sauron, but they know that something has happened and the evil has been overthrown. And it's this moment again that goes from pure despair to pure joy in like an instant. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But after all of that is said and done and, and sort of Eowyn makes the, the change from like, wanting to go die in battle to being okay to sit there and, and face down whatever may come alongside Faramir, um, which is like a big step for her. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, then she gets a summons from her brother kind of like, Hey, like come and party with us. Like the King is here and it's going to be great. Which was the previous chapter where Uh, we saw all that merrymaking. And, um, she's solemn and doesn't go and, uh, is pretty bummed out and i love the scene between her and faramir it's so good well you've just been so starved of romance oh, I know. that any crumbs anything. you can get yeah the, these are just the crumbs but these are like high quality crumbs i i think this is actually why i'm you know i i think something we've talked about is that i know i've definitely said it I'm a little sad that Tolkien didn't write more human interaction in his stories. They're so mythic sometimes. And and it's not that he's bad at writing myths. It's just like what I prefer is the human interaction Mm -hmm. side of of a story. And he's so good at just writing dialogue. That's what I mean is like he's so he's particularly good at it that I, I kind of am frustrated that his um pedantic kind of obsession with this being a history of a land and not a story yeah it's a big loss for me (laughs) like um and for trashy romance fans out there everywhere because like he writes it good like he writes this romance really naturalistically it is like this perfect it's really quick but it's still like a slow burn kind of like they ease into it it's not this like love at first sight situation that she has with Aragorn. Yeah. I mean, it's quick, but, um, but it's, it's not... It's like because of circumstance and like relationship. Yeah, and not you understand like, why it develops to It's that not point. that she sees like the holy regality of Aragorn and is like immediately upset that he's not in love with her. You know, yeah. like... Yeah. Um, it, it, it's very cool. I, I think he writes this really well as like a someone going from their first like infatuation into an actual love. Faramir is basically like, Eowyn, why are you so upset? Like, do you not love me? Like I love you. I love you. He says I love you. Yeah. And she's like, don't you know why I'm upset? Like, isn't it obvious? And he's like, well, I have two ways of thinking about that. And she's like, I don't want to play word games. (laughs) 
very on brand for Eowyn. Yeah, she's like, just tell me what you're thinking. And he's just like, well, I think you're bummed that Aragorn didn't summon you. And it was just your brother who summoned you. Um, And the other thing is like, I think you don't want to leave because I wouldn't be going with you. I don't think you want to leave my side. Like, don't you love me? Because like, I love you a lot. Yeah. And oh, I love it. Um, And it's clear that like, she needed to hear those words. In that instant, she sort of changes. And she says, like, I'll think no more of slaying. I'm going to be a healer. And like, yeah, which is huge for her <laughs> like, to just do this 180. I'm not a shield maiden anymore. And um, it's pretty cool, like that yeah. that transition for her. Well, and I love, um, you know, they talk about like the, the melting um, of her coldness, uh, like spring on a flower afflicted by frost. I think that's a great metaphor for Eowyn. And I love here near the end of uh, this development that we've seen between them. Um, she even starts to get a little uh, cheekier with him in a way that we've only seen her just ever be like down to business and cold. <laughs> Part that I love is he asks her like, oh, white lady of Rohan, would you come with me to um, uh, Athelion and live with me? And she's like, uh, well, what would you have people say of me, man of Gondor? Um, <laughs> yeah. You can tell there's like a little bit of uh, playfulness. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, that you tamed a wild shield maiden of the north. Oh, and, yeah. and then he says, I would have I him would say have that. <laughs> and then he kisses her right on the lips. Yeah. It's great. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's really cute. And I mean, it's clear uh, as much as you've talked about Faramir being like one of the high men of Gondor, it's clear that she knows that too and thinks he's a little like too good for himself. I know that like Tolkien wrote Baron and Luthien about him and his wife, but given that Faramir is Tolkien's, Mm. I just wonder how much of this is like, how frigid was his his wife during courting, you know? And uh, I mean, Luthien's a pretty unattainable woman as well. Yeah, she quickly falls in love, I'd say, with Baron. Though. Right, but like but... to get to marry her is like yeah. a pretty big. Oh yeah, task. That, that that's the quest itself. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I love her transition into just mm. like being okay. To me, it's very realistic. It's like actually an extremely relatable. Not that women are shield maidens in this day. Mm. Yeah. But you know, I I just think it is a very cool story. Yeah, and while I think it's great that Eowyn has found happiness in Faramir, I think this is set up really well with, this is what Theoden says he wants, I would have you smile again. And as we kind of talked about, there was that moment in the battle where Theoden could have been saved, but Faramir would have died. And Gandalf chose to save Faramir. So I think Theoden died, but he died with the satisfaction of knowing now that Faramir will bring happiness to Eowyn. Yeah, yeah. um, Which is all Theoden really wanted. Um, so I think that ties it up very nicely in a neat little bow. Yeah, definitely. But now we have the returning armies from the field of Cormallon, led by the Lord Aragorn, and he meets Faramir at the gates of Minas Tirith. And now we have the official transfer of power from the steward to the king. This is, again, just a great scene about Aragorn's humility and his understanding and appreciation of, like, what actually got him back on the throne. Faramir is ready to just be like, okay, I'm done. 
the stewards are over like your king now and he's like no like i'll always yeah we'll always need your office um Um, as close counselors and in case something happens to the king yeah and um so that's really meaningful and then when he's going to be crowned by faramir he insists that instead of faramir just placing it on him that he gives the crown to frodo who will then give it to gandalf for gandalf to crown him yeah he's definitely paying respects to the people that got him there yeah i always look at the true movers and shakers of the story we can talk about how sam is the real hero and the protagonist all we want but for me it gets down to aragorn gandalf and frodo they're these three christ-like figures a trinity if you will they are you know a trinity they've all kind of passed through their own kind of crucifixion and path through the land of the dead if you will frodo's journey through mordor aragorn's journey through the paths of the dead er gandalf's journey through death itself yeah and we get kind of back to this idea of prophet priest and king gandalf being the prophet frodo being you know the priest and aragorn as king which is a very Catholic idea. Yeah, I, I actually think it's really interesting that of the entirety of like the Christian mythos, there is this very special attention paid to the concept of, of rebirth. You know, we're living in a hugely Protestant area where um, the sacrifice itself is, is like the big focus, the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But there's so much rebirth that is at the and center of this story. And, yeah. yeah. This idea that like never lose hope and like all things will transform eventually. And there's this big cycle that we're all a part of, you know, I'm sure there's been loads of essays and um, books written about like the religious structures of this work. Yeah. Definitely. So Aragorn is crowned King Elisar, which means elf stone. As we know, this is the stone that Galadriel had given him. And he's wearing it on his neck. Yeah, and he presumably used it to heal people during that Houses of Healing chapter. It says that he entered the city with only like the stone. Even though he's been crowned king and they're all like, we're ready to kind of get going home. They're just like, (laughs) keep waiting. There's something else coming here. And um (laughs) So this chapter <laughs> ends with the uh, the coming of this elven host out of the north. Yeah. Uh, we got, you know, Glorfindel and uh, Galadriel and Celeborn and Elrond. And we also have his daughter, Arwen. Hey, 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 finally, bitch, shows up. And then like in one sentence, it's like, and they were wed. What a bummer. <laughs> Just like, okay, I am so glad that Eowyn is with Faramir. What a worthwhile romance. I think it is a shame that Arwen is like just here and married and that's it. Done. Yeah. I wish the tale of Aragorn and Arwen was a little more integrated into the story. Yeah. Um, Well, because something I feel strongly about is like, I don't, I don't think the narrative is so consistently one way or another that like, I wouldn't be able to just absorb information about Aragorn's past with Arwen. Yeah. I think it would be pretty easy for me to wrap my head around that. We've we've switched perspective plenty, and even like between the same characters being in the same scenes together. Yeah, well, Tolkien does do this thing where it's usually the least knowledgeable character at any given moment is our POV character. So we see a lot of the hobbits, and sometimes we see Legolas and Gimli being kind of our POV character, but it's almost never Aragorn. He is almost this like unattainable mythic character that everyone else is just 
kind of chronicling the return of the king. Uh, I just, I mean, she's just mentioned enough that wouldn't he say at some point, like, yeah, man, do I miss her? Or when when they're vi- visiting Galadriel, wouldn't he be like, oh, the stories I could tell you about there's me little, and my girl. You know, there's hints at there's, it. Um, like, but they're just, uh, they're just hints. Like, yeah. I, I think that it's is... It's like these speaking in riddles, like, um, to Galadriel, he says, like, I don't know what other gift I could give you other than the one you now bear, which is, like, my granddaughter's love, you know? Right, but um, it's sort of like, okay, like... Oh, you mean I've got to read your appendices to, like, feel that? Yeah, and exactly. I just, I think that is so obnoxious. And I, I will die on the hill that it is one of the most obnoxious, like, failings of this this work. I don't know. I really like the stitched together nature of this book. I think that adds that uh, recorded history accuracy to it that I think is interesting. But I can understand, sometimes I often wonder... Again, if The Lord of the Rings was written more like The Hobbit and it was just more like, here's the quest and not like trying to be a history. Right. I will. Some parts of it are so like rich with that type of detail. And not as like meta textual. Like they're writing about how they're about to write these chapters. And then it's (laughs) like, you know, as you're reading the chapter. No, Um, like it it doesn't start off that way. And then there are even some moments throughout that are just so like you're there. You're like walking the streets of Gondor. To me, it's not even realistic to being a history. It's realistic to being a fairy tale. That's how fairy tales are. And they all lived happily ever after. You don't get to like see the romance. Like you just hear that like the princess marries the prince and that's it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely. So I guess good job. You did the thing. You you wrote a fairy tale. And speaking of getting to that fairy tale <laughs> ending, um, you know, that kind of brings us to the end here, but we still have four more chapters to go. And it is all just like, now we've done the evil hard quest. Here's like the ending we all get to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and it's not over yet. It's There's not over still, yet. Uh, still much to be. Uh, a whole quarter of a volume left. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can check out our website at halfaswellpodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter at halfaswellpod. Next week, we will be finishing up this whole entire book series. Um, After that, we're going to be taking a week to kind of like talk about this, get a little more playful just to you know throw big opinions around about the whole series uh we'll do we're gonna take a little bit of break before we dive all into the silmarillion (laughs) which is going to be quite the endeavor uh and yeah then we are just kind of on a beeline towards understanding a little bit more about the ages before the third age so that as we near the time for this rings of power show to come out we're getting a little bit more of a a textual basis for what we might see in that show. It's been really Absolutely. great so far. Yeah. I just, I can't believe how quickly we're flying through all these books. And I mean, the- it's what our reading schedule said, but like, yeah, I can't believe we've stuck with it for so long. This is pretty amazing for us. <laughs> I mean, like high five to us. I, I guess, know. But, um... <laughs> We'll see if we can keep it up with the Silmarillion, which is going to be a lot denser. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little worried about our episode length. We were already pushing it with this this section of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can be a little more snappy with our analysis. Yeah, I think maybe the more removed nature of the story will maybe let us do that. We'll see. Here's to hoping. Yep. I'm Sage. 
And I'm William. And this is Half Half as as Well. Well.